Welcome to CapCast again, and we have a, a very special guest today, Robbie Barwick, Research Director with the uh, Australian Citizens Party. Robbie, you've, um, you're the uh, 20 years uh, you've been with the Australian Citizens Party, and a big focus on economic policy, Australian history and the history of the Commonwealth Bank, which we're very interested in today, and uh, editor of the Weekly Australian Alert Service magazine. Uh, thanks for being here with us, mate. Thank you, Robbie. Good to talk to you, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. I'll, I want to show this conversation to our viewers as well. I think it will benefit everybody. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny conversation. We're sort of uh, we're um, doing in the reverse with you know with, with each other's um, uh, occasions on podcasts, and you're usually doing them as well. With yeah, other we, we call we call. I'll, I'll just I'll just give a shout out to Citizens Insight viewers. Um, welcome to uh, KOP podcast or Capcast. You call it, don't you? Um, and I recommend you look them up and uh, start following Robbie regularly. <laughs> oh well, thanks, mate. Yeah, we, you know, it's um, we've we've met a few times now, and I always enjoy our conversations, Robbie. I think um, it's it's like uh, it's um, you can finish my sentences, and uh, probably the same for me to you on on a lot of this um, banking and economic stuff. I really appreciate the work you do there with Citizens Party, and. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, I'm interested today to talk about um, a people's bank, a Commonwealth Postal Savings Bank, which is an initiative you've been very strongly behind for a long time now, and um, and a very a, a, one of those core values and principles that we hold very dear as well, and see as the uh, you know one of the big answers economically to unlocking Australia's potential. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about your history with the issue and where how you grew? Yeah, your interest grew in this as a subject and so, as an initiative. Well, let me let me say first that what I love about uh, you guys, Robbie, you and um, uh, Bob Catter, is I've researched this a lot. You guys have lived it, and that's why I love our conversations because um, you know, you, especially with with the um, uh, rural bank in Queensland, there, the state bank. And, and the various roles that you know Bob Catter had in that, and and the people you know and, and, and that have been you've been able to come into contact with there, that is the his, the real history we need to bring alive to people because we did it not in the not too distant past, and we need to do it again. Yep. We've had this 25 year aberration in our history where um, for 84 years we had a public bank, a really good one called the Commonwealth Bank, a national one. You yep. had a lot of state ones. And then we decided to get rid of all of them. And yep. we've had 25 years where the private banks have had all the say, right? No alternative to private banks. And look where it's got us. So what I've actually been, uh, like you said, I've been the research director of, of our party for a bit over 20 years now. But I've actually been in our party for um, 30 years. I'm a Queenslander too originally. I'm calling you from, talking to you from Melbourne, of course. But, um, near, um, well, I was born in Townsville, but um, I, I spent... I got um, came of age near Bundaberg and Childers there, and I remember, I remember um, uh, when I was about eighteen, they shut down sand mining on Fraser Island, and I remember how enraged the the local population was because all these jobs were gone, etc. And then I remember what the prescription was, what the solution offered to the public was: oh, you'll have tourism, that'll solve everything, and then. Yeah. Because I got into, involved in politics on that, and I was paying attention, that was that that assurance was repeated all around Australia for the next 20 years. Shut down industry after industry after industry. Oh, you'll have tourism, 
And, and um, frankly, look where it's got us, right? We're, we've de-industrialised. And so our party has always been looking at, look, we need to re-industrialise and that requires investment. And how do you make sure that you get the investment into these areas that make sure our economy works at a basic level? And that's where the history is relevant because the, it was what the history shows is the big, the big progress in Australia was always invested in by a public bank. Right? And the Commonwealth Bank took the lead on that. Various state banks did their bit, etc. Because a public bank does what the private banks don't want to do. They're there, they're there to maximise their profits. And you know, um, as long as they do that honestly, that's fine. But you know, you, banking has this incredible power. Right? You, can, you can extend credit and, and, t and create wealth right, by backing people's innovation and ideas, etc., um, and when you're doing that into, into the real key industries like agriculture and whatever, it, it makes the country flourish and progress. And without that, and with only having private banks, you, end up, you have, end up starving those key sectors of credit, which has been the story. So we researched all this. I can tell you chapter and verse all the great things that the, um, the Commonwealth Bank did. But what we've found also in politics, and you guys would know this, um, the banks are the most powerful lobby group. That's why it was so hard to get the Royal Commission up. And since we got it up, hasn't really, uh, nothing's really came, come of it, right? No. So they see something like people promoting a, a public bank again, and they're going to shoot it down. And you know, we're, 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 we've been promoting our public bank, but then I picked up from actually your party, um, it was, it was uh, 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 Bob Catter and his staff who told me about the, you guys had this idea of let's have a postal bank, uh, in 2020, a Labor Party think tank called Per Capita put out a report on a postal bank. And that was, a, I have to admit, that was the first time I'd actually thought, well, hang on, yeah, we could get our bank through this way, through, through, through meeting a need that really exists. At well, a this is a revelation to me, Robbie, because I thought, um, I'd, I'd certainly heard the concept and talked about it, but I thought uh, you'd had that for years yeah, no, we had the public bank for years, but not, not the idea of the postal yeah. bank, right? Yeah, that, okay, that, right. Hang on, there's a, there's a, this, this really does, this really is a win-win way to bring this about. People are losing their bankers, their banks, their, their services. The banks are, are just terrible on service. You've got these post offices, you know, we can talk about this, but also the, the Christine Holgate episode brought this home. Um, it really is the win-win solution. And then I read this report, heard, heard, um, heard um, from your party that you'd been, you, were, you were talking about this around the time of the 2020 Queensland state election. And I thought, hey, this is a really good idea. And that's how, that's how we came to getting behind the Postal Bank campaign. And since we have, Robbie, it's um, no holds barred. This has become our number one mission. Brilliant. And, and you've done a tremendous job uh, since then because, uh, yeah, you're um, right across it. I, I should share with... You and the and listeners, I um, I remember one of the first times I heard it. I was at a, a party, um, sitting next to a bloke who was a you know a, I'd say nothing short of a, a corporate sort of champion of corporate industry in Australia now, um, who'd said you know you're wasting your time with this banking inquiry, the Royal Commission. He said you won't it won't do the job. You said the best way you could do something is have a government bank to go in competition with them. That'll tidy them up. 
And he said, I don't believe in it. You know, philosophically, it's not my cup of tea, but that's, if you want to fix that problem, that's it. And he said, you know how I'd do it? I'd, I'd use Australia Post. And, and I, like, that was the first time I ever heard at a party, and I thought, well, okay, that's interesting that someone from that part of uh, the world, uh, in, in um, uh, that part of society, would be thinking along those lines. So, and you know, um, and you know what it's being um, thought about. Yeah, and you know what it tells you. They know. See that. Look, I do. These guys don't believe in regulation. I do believe in regulation. We've got to clean up the banks, but they do know that the more you know, you can come up with regulations that the banks will just pay lawyers to help them get around. And the bankers have a clever, the predatory mindset. Uh, Robbie, the Mozzie will always find the blood, right? That's that's how they yep. that's how they think. So how do you it, how do you really make them lift their standards? Well, you set up an institution that they have to compete with, that is there to put service first. Only then um, are they going to lift their game. And that, and as far as I'm concerned, that is the history of Australia. That's what the Commonwealth Bank did. And get what, guess what? I had exactly the same experience in 2018 with the top guy as well. This one, is, this one was a director of one of the big four banks back in the day. But he, by the time of the Royal Commission, he was... Because there had been this big cultural shift from the, from the, um, uh, the mid-90s onwards as well to, to sort of, instead of, instead of the banks making money by you know, helping their customers make money, they made money by just through fees and charges and selling them crap and all that stuff that led to the Royal Commission, right? Preying on their yeah. customers, fleecing their customers. Anyway, this yep. guy, he was pretty disgusted with that. He was, a bit, he was a bit old school. And he said to me the same thing that, that your mate said to you. The only way you're going to get these banks to improve is you've got to, make, you've got to break the oligopoly. You've got to make them compete. And he said, and, I, and the best way to do it is start, start a bank through the post offices. <laughs> yeah, 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 good. Well, let's put some context around it because, you know, where it really, where it hit home for me was during the middle of the drought here in Queensland. We had a big drought. I think 70% of Queensland had been in a drought for about eight or nine years. And, um, and it was a discussion with the... Um, a banker that had said, mate, we, our rural products just don't, aren't commensurate with the ups and downs. They just, they, there's a big gap in our rural products and that's across the board, all the banks. And I think a lot of it goes back to, it's APRA, isn't it? The APRA guidelines that govern it, that protect the shareholders' funds and they put some risks in there and everything goes back on the balance sheet. So you can have, um, you know, Rob Catter as the industry best um, practice standards. I'm a great farmer that does a great job. Never missed a loan repayment. Never will in my life. I'll live in a tent before I miss a loan repayment. And I've got the best land management practice, the most efficient farming. But old Freddie Bloggs next door can be drinking booze every night, send all his kids to expensive boarding school, inherited the property. But on the balance sheet, he looks better from an asset base. So he gets favoured. He gets um, the favoured by the banks rather than, and I get. Um, I go into a risk, they, they need to cut some of their loan book and this happened during the drought. They said, well, we need to cut, cut off 10% or whatever it was, the number of our loan book. So they knocked on Rob Catter's door and said, mate, um, you know, we've got a, you've, tri you've triggered some risk um, ratings and we need to put, take you from 4% or 5% interest to 10 or 12. You need to tip in a few hundred grand so you have to sell all your cattle, which means you'll never dig yourself out of the hole and um and that was a and they and the banker said to me that's a place where a government bank if they could cherry pick those sort of 
um, customers that are really good producers that just don't fit the traditional model, you'd have a great loan book, a good solid loan book, and history shows that, they, that you don't get defaults in those spaces. They're good, loyal customers. And it's a and it makes money for the it makes money for the taxpayer. Right, exactly. Like how many of these and and how it was said to me was, Rob, if you look at the profit and loss of most of the cattle stations out here, the biggest on on average the biggest part of their expenses is not the diesel or the or the urea, you know the feed supplements. It's the um, interest on their loans. That's the biggest. Generally yeah, speaking, that's yeah. the biggest expense line item on their expenses, and here's an area where you've got to make a cost-effective or almost, you'd say, a tax for, you know, um, a way to make money for the taxpayer that also fills that gap. But And the government was happily throwing cash at, you know, throwing drought subsidies and cash at the problem, but they, yet they wouldn't um, put in a loan facility that... Uh, they, they'd put these silly loan facilities in that just try and mimic what the majors do and um, apply the exact same prejudice. And that's where I saw... This is crazy. You need a government bank that can go in there and serve that agenda, uh, deal with that. Hundred percent. And also, um, also, Robbie, didn't you tell me you you met the guy who ran the state bank in Queensland yes. in the eighties, who actually saw yep. all these farmers through hard times, and it worked. Yep. He said for four. I think for the number of years he was the head, he said they were the second biggest loan book in the state. And that they he couldn't recall one default. So That's go true. and find me. You know, if you're a bank that has the second biggest loan book, a rural loan book in Queensland, you're making a fair bit of money for the taxpayer sure. if you're not getting any defaults. And, Absolutely. Um, and, and once they got people out of trouble, they put them back on commercial rates, and they were happy and they were good loyal customers. So. Um, the taxpayers get to own a bank that makes a lot of money for them. I think it's a great idea. Because I have a couple of observations based on what you just recounted. Because you talked about the, you know, the ten percent of the the rural sector that the banks decided, oh, we better shed here for the sake of our risk profiles in our books. Well, remember at the time of the GFC, they did that in an even more concentrated way, because the global financial crisis, our banks were in quite a bit of trouble in the global financial yep. crisis, and Rudd had to prop them up with his guarantees. And, and, what the, and, in, and, in the and then the banks turned around to reduce their risk profile. They just cut off whole areas like North Queensland. You know, there's that, I always remember there's that developer or whatever in Cairns. He's the, the, I forget Headley. his name. It was CEC, right? Which was the name of our oh, party. Oh, yeah, Roy Lavis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just t perfectly viable operation, a big operation. Yep. The creditor just pull pulled out because it, the, someone in, in Sydney office had said, okay, that's part of the risk profile we're just cutting. Right, yep. and no rhyme or reason except for that, um, because they, they're, they're, um, the, the, the internal state of their books come first. And the other one was the Bank West customers. Commonwealth Bank buys up Bank West to save uh -huh. it, but then all the small business customers got cut off at the knees for the same reason. And the irony of the the worst part about Commonwealth Bank and the Bank West one is both of them used to be public banks, and if they had stayed public wow. banks, they would it would never have happened. They would never have got in wow. trouble in the first place. Yeah, right, yeah. and they would have been able to absorb all that. And I remember, um, yeah. I remember in 2012, because uh, we and um, uh, Bob Catter went over there, but they had this debt crisis in the West oh, Australian yeah, Wheat Belt, right? Mm. And and Bob was there, and we were there, but the issue was the same. And Bob put up without we never we didn't coordinate this message. He put up the same argument as we did. Here you had this is our Wheat Belt, the biggest wheat growing area in Australia. 
at a time when food is a premium around the world and these, these farmers were being foreclosed on en masse because of their debts. And Bob's argument and our argument was we just bailed out the banks by taking over their debts and basically saying the, 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 the federal government's credit rating means we can borrow at 4% then, right? Yep. Um, and the banks can use our credit rating to get themselves out of trouble. Well, why couldn't we have done that to farmers who produce our food? Here they're paying 12%, 15%. Yep. Well, this was before the Royal Commission. So the Royal Commission banned one, one outcome, I understand, you, correct me if I'm wrong, was it at least led to the banning of penalty interest rates. These crazy yep. banks would find farmers in trouble and hit them with higher interest rates because yeah, yeah. it was all about their risk and not the farmer's situation, yep. right? So you could, we could have said, no, don't give them higher interest rates, give them lower interest rates here. We will buy out your debt, you'll be paying 4% because that's all it cost us to borrow, right? Yep. Cost free, no one makes money out of it, you come good and then you can transition back. Um, and that was Bob's experience talking, of course, but it was the right thing to do. That's what a government can do. And that's not costing the government a cent, Robbie. Not a cent. That's yep. what the government can do. And a I bank think, can be dedicated um, to doing that. Yep, I think the last, the last one we iteration we had in Queensland was QIDC, Queensland Investment Development Corporation. Yeah, that sold to Suncorp. Yep, uh, for one point five billion, and <laughs> the biggest yeah. argument they come up with uh, when we try and raise the idea that in a state, in Queensland in Parliament, they say, "Oh, it'll cost. It's too much risk for the taxpayer. It costs the money." And um, <laughs> you know, I don't know what's. I mean, I don't even know how to respond to that, but banks, um, you know, every, every iteration we've ever had of this has made a tremendous amount of money of for the Australian taxpayer. Um, so it's just absolute nonsense to the arguments. And that's the best argument they ever come up with, which is um, really silly. But it, it's a bit more than that, Rob, isn't it? Like, it's not, it's not just the banks themselves, it's an economic ideology. The, the free marketeers, the economic rationalists for the last 20 or 30 years, They've uh, populated our universities, our schools, and told us that regulation's bad and anything owned by the government's too horrible. And um, they're starting to—they're starting—it's starting to catch up with them now. And these uh, disruption in the global economy, where we've forgotten that you sometimes you do need some agriculture and some manufacturing yeah. and those sort of things. Yeah. But um, but that's what, I mean that's one of the big enemy our big enemies with these initiatives, isn't it? Look, this is part of what I've spent a lot of time researching, that the way they brainwashed a generation. Now, to simplify yep. it, I, I actually take it back to things I hope people can remember, people my age and above can remember, because the people who gave us these arguments had an agenda, right? And the agenda was simple. From, from about World War II onward, you'd had an understanding, thanks to the Chifley um, Curtin government in Australia, uh, Franklin Roosevelt in America, Clement Attlee in the UK, uh, etc. You had an understanding that, okay, this ideology that had defined the fights in the 30s, where someone who's a hero to your party and ours, Ted Theodore, in, yep. the, in the Great Depression, wanted to use the government's own bank to alleviate unemployment by, by investing in job-creating projects, right? Yep. Public works. And he wasn't allowed to. And this was, this was a debate that went around the world, actually. But Roosevelt, this, that was the year before Roosevelt became president. And then because Roosevelt became president, he did it. 
And then that led into World War II. When our right. Labor government came back, they were able to do it. And by the time the war was over, there was a consensus around the world. There was a new way of understanding the economy. And yeah, the government had a role to play. And I like to compare it to ballast in a ship, right? Unless the yeah, government provides the ballast, there's no stability. You know, you can have all the flashy stuff, whatever. But yep. the ballast comes from the government making sure the basic things happen in the economy. That was the consensus. And then in the 70s, these ideologues, these, um, and they're around people like Margaret Thatcher and whatever um, in Australia, yep. John, John Howard. The real shock in Australia was the, was the Labor government. Howard, Keating, yeah. Keating and Hawke, right, bought into the yep. same thing, right? But, but the, ideolo the ideology was, I oh, know, government's inefficient. We've got we've to get government out of the economy. And for the way I simplify it for people is that it was just the little prejudicial things that they would get us all to buy into, like um, the guy on the on the stop go the council worker on the stop go sign. Oh, look at that lazy guy. That's his only job. What a life, right? You know, I'm, I'm yeah. some hardworking small businessman, and, and I pay rates, and my council can pay this guy just to hold up a sign. And that, I remember as a kid hearing people whinge about the the lollipop guy on the council, and then also the. the for some reason, they didn't like telecom workers. They thought they had a cushy job too. You know, they'd knock off yeah. at lunchtime and, because I oh, works yeah. for the government, right? What an easy life. And yeah. oh, it's clearly inefficient. Um, yeah. but, see, but see, and they called, there was all this fat. They, they, would, they would make us want to think of it. There's all this fat yeah, that yeah. had to be trimmed. Yeah. But now I see that the fat was actually redundancy. And you know it's redundancy when you don't have it anymore and something goes wrong and everything pancakes. Right? Yeah. There's, there's nothing, to, there's nothing yeah. to absorb the crisis. That's why yeah. we had that redundancy in the past. But they, they made us all buy into this. And so we accepted privatisation and we accepted this stuff. But then after a while, we weren't, it was never our idea because we weren't the guys who were going to benefit. The guys who were benefit were like, were like the banks who said, if we can get rid of all public banks, we have a monopoly on the banking system. We can charge what we yeah. like. We can, we can gouge whoever we like. Right, yeah. and there's no alternative. We've got a captive market. The yeah. privatizers said, "Oh, mate, you know, you know, oh, you, you mean that airport's in public hands? We put it in private hands. We can whack all these charges on it and make all this money." Like, like and yeah. and they're the ones that had an agenda. The public didn't. We just sort of accepted their arguments at first. And when we woke up to say, "Look, everything you have, we let you do, has been a disaster." Yeah. Right. That's now. That's why now there's a backlash. There's a huge backlash. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is, the big one is banking. You know, we can we should nationalise the electricity again, as far as I'm concerned, and do all those sort of things. But the big one is banking because banking. credit is the lifeblood of an economy. And if yeah. you let private bankers control it, they're going to do only what maxim, profits them maximally. Yep. Right, and keeps gives them that, that keeps them in having a lot of power over the system. Yep. Get a public bank back. We had one for eighty four years. Right, yep. this twenty five years has been the aberration. Let's go back to normalcy. <laughs> well, there's another. Yeah, drag you back to the you know North Queensland example of in 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 the farming, but farming for us is mostly cattle grazing and fattening. Yeah, but. Um, I think a good working example where you're going with that point is if you've got an agenda as a government and let's say perhaps um, they listened to us, <laughs> our values and said, we think it's important to have some um, private enterprise retained in, in small business and that includes family owned, smaller family owned farms and people like me that get to have a crack at buying a farm. Yep. So we want to empower them. What's the best way you can do that? And that's access and 
affordability of capital, availability yeah. and cost of capital, which is a government bank. And, um, and, you know, because at the moment, like up north, all you're getting is institutional investors, well-established, big, large family units that will, in my view, have inevitably become, uh, there'll only be a small handful of them left and they'll become big, um, amalgamated into, bought out by corporates or institutional investors eventually anyway. Right. So how do you how do you create that space? And and I mean the best I can ever come up with is have something that's prejudice back the other way that will give an advantage or at least allow that smaller unit economic unit to compete in that space. And uh, that's through access and affordability of capital, in my view. Well, in a hundred, you know, you go back a hundred years, a century before the Commonwealth Bank, before those sort of institutions into the, the uh, 19th century, what did you have? You had, especially in agriculture, dominated by big corporations and British pastoral companies, not, right. not family yeah. farms, right? Yeah, correct. And, and the family farms movement uh, grew along with the people saying, we need you know, public credit to, to, to make this happen because it's, it's yeah. better for Australia that, you don't, that, you, that our agricultural land isn't dominated by the equivalent of the, you know, the Vesties were an example of them, right? But um, they yeah. lasted a long time. It, it was all, the whole thing was the Vesties once. The Vesties, AACO, that's, that, was, that was the whole country. Um, most of the, the, the 18, sorry about that, the 1890s um, uh, the, uh, Shearer's strikes were against those pastoral companies, right? They weren't against yep. family farmers, and that's where the Labor Party come from, etc. But when the Labor Party yep. started... And, you know, the Nationals were actually a spin-off from the Labor Party originally because they were the people yeah, in the country, the country that said, oh, we, yeah. Yeah, we think our, our, rural, our rural needs, we have to have our own party here. They, they were representing ordinary people compared to these big corporate interests. And that's what led us to get the Commonwealth Bank and have a, a different credit system in Australia that allowed the small guy to flourish. And that's true, that's tr true free enterprise because you yeah. can't... Half of when you have these big corporate agribusinesses and that, um, uh, Robbie, tell me the fundamental difference between them and the old Soviet collective farms. The people working on them don't own them. What's their what's yeah, what's yeah. their real incentive, right? Especially to look yeah. after the land and all those sort of things. No, no, the yeah. real the real free enterprise is small business and family farmers, and they need yeah. credit. And when you have a public bank. And we just actually we just put out a press release on this today about small business, specifically small business, that a yeah. postal bank would be the best friend of small business, because yeah. we've got um, we have this wonderful graph that we use that shows in 1988, 70 percent of Australian bank loans went to business, and a bit over 20 percent went to housing. That has now completely inverted. It's 65 percent to housing, 30 percent to business. And that business includes small and big business, and of that component, small business has suffered. The banks are starving them of credit, and partly they're not. That partly is because of the way banking has evolved now, where the, the local branch manager doesn't make the decisions, who sees the opportunities in the local area. That's the that's the um, the computers and, and people back in headquarters in Sydney mm. using their their um, pre-programmed risk settings, and they've just decided, no, we're not going to lend to those people. Right. Yeah. Um, and and there's lot because they're not there. They miss. They don't see the opportunities that the small business entrepreneur recognises. That a man, if I can get some credit, I can do this. Right. And so regional Australia, rural Australia, and remote Australia withers and dies on the vine 
for lack of credit. And that's what, you know, you put me onto these, um, uh, the, the local council groups out west there, right? Yep. That's their biggest issue. No money for housing. Um, yep. uh, and because of that, you know, populate, they can't attract population. If they can't attract population, then they can't get the, the basic income for the, for the council to be able to provide the other services. And it's a downward spiral, all because of the lack of availability of credit. Yeah. There's 4,300 or something post offices in Australia. Imagine if, which is the biggest retail footprint in the country, spread out right across the country. Imagine if every one of them was a public bank where you could go and some people with local knowledge could help you get a loan. But, but you know, that brings me to an interesting point. Christine Holgate, um, yeah. I love her. Um, me too. And, and, and I know you know her very well. Um, Explain, you know, how is she important in this story? Explain to uh, oh, look. This this is the this is the most this is fantastic. This story, and I want to I want to tell it in a certain way, if you don't mind. So just just bear with me because I think people will find it um, as dramatic as it should be. Christine Holgate got appointed CEO in 2017, and she'd gone from around Blackmores. from Blackmores, yeah. But mm. she did her due diligence before she took up the job at her own expense. She and her husband, Mike, had gone around the world looking at postal operations around the world. And what she noticed was all postal operations were dealing with the same technology problem, which meant that while well, when more people are sending emails, they're not sending letters, right? So there's a reduction in letters. And because there's a reduction in letters, that's the bread and butter income of all postal services. So the yep. successful ones that had been able to maintain their services were the ones that decided to combine postal services with banking services. And she yep. saw that in France, and she saw it in Switzerland, she saw it in India. And we already knew about the successful ones in, like the most successful, one of the biggest banks in the world is Japan Post Bank. Um, and it's an incredible story over in Japan. Anyway, so she saw that and she, she came knowing, she came to Australia Post knowing that, that um, banking services was both important and also an opportunity. But what happened was they got, they got um, a consultancy to do a, to do a, um, a study of what Bank at Post, the existing banking service, which is just an agency service. It's not a separate bank, right? You go in there and it's an agency for the existing banks. What was it costing Australia Post? Because the, local, the licensed post office people who run the post offices of small businesses, um, led by Angela Cramp, who's the executive director of the LPO group, they told um, Christine Holgate when she said, what's your biggest point of pain? They said banking because it was costing them too much money. The banks weren't paying for the service that the post offices were providing. So anyway, they did a study and that what they did an analysis of it and what these consultants came up with, it was costing Australia Post $48 million a year. That was a net cost. There was a drain on Australia Post providing the service and it was most of it was coming out of the pockets of the LPOs. So the board of Australia Post, wouldn't you believe it, stacked with all those Liberals and National Party people, um, Robbie, these geniuses yeah. of private enterprise, they looked at this yeah. figure and they said, oh, well, we should scrap Bank at Post. And there was one person in that meeting who thought that was insane, and that was the brand new CEO, Christine Holgate. And she said, are you kidding? If you scrap, if Bank at Post ends as a service, there's 1,500 communities in Australia who don't have any other banking service. The banks, they either never had banks or the banks have withdrawn. You will, be, you will be cutting them all off from banking services. I will not let you do this. And so she's a persuasive woman. The board said, okay, well, 
what are you going to do? And she said, I'm going to approach the banks and get them to pay more money. And she said, I'm going to get them to pay $20 million each. And they just laughed at her. And they said, you're not going to get them to pay a million dollars each. And they said, okay, you have until the 30th of September to do this deal or else we're shutting the service down. They gave her a deadline. This is 2018, right? They gave her a deadline. So she flew into action and we've met her. She is, she is a really smart, creative CEO, uh, Christine Holgate. She, she, she gets four top execs to work with her and they worked weekends, public holidays. Well, I spoke to the staffer of one of them who told me her boss in that period was working 23 hours a day on this and they were crunching the numbers and they were doing everything they had to do and they were approaching the banks and it was Christine's job to call up the banks every weekend or so, like every Friday or so, and say, do we have a deal yet? And they were so nice to her because she's a lovely lady. So the CEOs of all these banks, by the way, Robbie, this is when they're going through the Royal Commission, right? They're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Christine, yeah, we'll do the deal. But it was going nowhere, right? They'd be nice to her face and it was going nowhere. So... Just to backtrack, I think she would have made a lot of political enemies in that initial meeting when she told everyone they were silly and she'll solve this. So I think that might have been the start, beginning of the end for her. Ab look, absolutely, no, absolutely no doubt. But you know what else? You know what else happened that year around that time? You can see it in Michael West media. Now, Michael West is a is um, someone who supports this as well because he used to be the uh, the um, finance editor for the Financial Review. He's a top finance guy. But he went off and started his own independent media because he thought the, 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 um, the mainstream had become too, you know, in the pockets of the big corporations. Anyway, he reported at that time that she was planning to start a, pub, a postal bank. And he predicted, the first line of his article, he said, the banks will fight this tooth and nail. So the same bank, she's calling him up, do we have a deal yet? Do we have a deal yet? And Shane Elliott and the, the American guy running Westpac at the time and... Thorburn, who just got in trouble here again um, down here in Melbourne, but the, from NAB, um, and uh, uh, the guy at Commonwealth Bank, yeah, yeah, Christine, yeah, we have a deal. We'll, we'll do a deal, but nothing was happening. And I, I think it was the 27th or the 28th of September, they still didn't have a deal. But this is where it gets dramatic. That was the day of the AFL Grand Final between Collingwood and West Coast Eagles. Now, Christine is on the board of Collingwood. And so she was, she was at the grand final in the corporate box and there was none other than Josh Frydenberg who was a brand new treasurer. He'd just been treasurer for a month because it was only a month earlier that Morrison had rolled, um, what's his name, Turnbull. Malcolm Turnbull. So Christine being Christine said, I'm going to talk to him. She goes up to him and says, Josh, I need your help. This is a really serious, she was stressed as, because she had this mm -hmm. deadline and she didn't want to be the CEO who scraps bank at post. And he said, okay, come and see me on Monday. Um, he, something she said got through to him. When he went there on Monday, a couple of things. She, she laid out the issue. Frydenberg was there with a treasury official, and that treasury official said, yeah, we know, we know about your proposal. The banks, because he used to work for Morrison before Frydenberg, he said, the banks have been calling Scott Morrison to complain about you. So to her face, they were nice. Behind her back, right, they were two-faced. Anyway, for whatever reason... Because I'm not a big fan of Frydenberg. For whatever reason, though, Robbie, he got, he got it. That this was yep. reasonable. And I think, actually, I have a theory. If the Royal Commission hadn't been on, where the banks were getting exposed every day for what bastards they were, I, don't, I think Frydenberg, himself an ex-banker, probably saw $20 million a year 
is a reasonable price to pay to get some goodwill back, right? Yes. So he right. said, yep. so I, don't, I don't know what he said. Oh, this is my theory, but he, what he said to Christine is, I'll help. He made the call to the Commonwealth yep. Bank that got the Commonwealth Bank um, CEO, uh, uh, Matt Common, to um, agree. And once Matt Common agreed, Westpac fell in line and um, NAB fell in line. ANZ refused to deal. The fact that ANZ refused to deal tells you what a big deal it was. Right? This yeah. was the banks being made to pay 20 million bucks for something they got for free before. They didn't like to do that at all. Anyway, this, you can see the press conference Christine gave. She was so emotional that it had come down to the wire and she didn't just get land the biggest deal in Australian Post history. She saved 1,500 postal um, banking ser services for yeah. 1,500 communities. And yeah. you know what she did out of her exuberance and relief and to celebrate this had happened? You know what she did to reward those four executives who had worked with her for so hard, so, so hard for so long? Gold watches. She gave them a Cartier watch each. And two years later, that's what she was assassinated for in federal parliament. Two years later, mind you. Yeah. Right? And when people hear that story, it blows their mind that what that yeah. that charade in 2020 was about that, that story where this woman yeah. who, sh who should be one of the great in the pantheon of Australian heroes for what she did yeah. was crucified in the way she was. Um, yes. That's the that's the that's the issue. But to me, the, what I took away from working with Christine and, and, on ex and getting that story out was her insights gelled with our insights of how important banking was to postal services. Right. And also, you know, communities need face to face banking. And that's why out of that has grown this postal bank campaign. It's, it is the win win solution. Yeah, what a hero. And tell us, mate, um, you know, this stuff is not that radical. New Zealand's got this up and running now. Well, New, well, New Zealand is the, is the perfect case in point because their banks are our banks. Right. They're all, it's also a good study of what, how to think about this politically, because they privatised their bank like we privatised ours. They actually were earlier, in 88, they privatised the bank in New Zealand. And, but unlike the Labor Party here, probably New Zealand, you know, like your dad, Bob, was the, was the sole guy in the nationals to quit over economic rationalism. He said, no, I'm not, I'm not tolerating this at all. This is a betrayal of our constituents. Yeah, no one in Labor did that under Hawke and Keating, right? But in New Zealand, someone in Labor did. And... Um, uh, his name was uh, Jim Anderton. He quit the party over the sale of the Bank of New Zealand. He ends up starting yep. this breakaway party and they said, we need a public bank back and they campaigned hard for a public bank. They got into power in 2000 in a coalition with the Labor government and they had one condition, public bank, right? And they had to force the Labor government to eventually cave in, but they did. When they set it up, they called it Kiwi Bank. The first thing that happened was the private banks all announced a moratorium on branch closures. Oh, we're not going to close yeah. branches now, right? Mm. Costs cost came down. Margins came down. Um, they were hoping no one would go to Kiwi Bank. A flood of people put their money into Kiwi Bank. And it really, it quickly became the most trusted banking brand um, in New Zealand. Now, because the people in the, the government that set it up, who were so passionate about it, didn't last in government that much longer for a number of reasons. Subsequently, for the, most of the two decades since, you've had people in government in New Zealand that haven't been that keen on a public bank. They're still economic rationalists like before, right? Yeah. However, the fact that... So they've, they've watered it down, they've, they've sabotaged it in many ways. It's not what it was at first. 
but they don't, no one's game to privatise it, Robbie, because for the Kiwi people, they will never let that happen. Once they got it back, they're never going to let it go again. And so what? Yeah, yeah. just a few months ago, the, the, the current Labor government um, actually took over control of the bank directly. It's still a bank that operates through the Kiwi Post, but they took yeah. it over directly to run it as a, as a bank directly. And they've said they're going to put more capital in. If there was, if there was ever a time they were going to use, come up with an excuse to privatise, it would have been then. They know they yeah, can't, yeah. and so it's going to be an even bigger operation then. And it's the only substitute in New Zealand to their big four banks, which are owned by our big four banks. Yeah, it's a great story that. Um, and mate, just to you know taper off, or br you know bring it back into the working examples, like um, I think of Wayne and Diane Rees. I hope they don't mind me using their name. They're friends of mine in Normanton, and the golf, um, a remote golf town in northwest Queensland. But Normanton's got a really solid base, uh, heavy um, Aboriginal population there, a lot of government services, a lot of big cattle industry, and it's the only town there. They've got the, the only big service station there, and they went to get a loan to expand. They've been with uh, Westpac there for 50 years or more. So they know intimately their, their financial position yeah. and, and the business, what it can do, and the reliability, stability. But you get someone from Sydney in credit, at uh, yep. Westpac will be the one signing off that they don't know Normanton, they don't want, they'd rather fund a, a, someone doing a six pack of units in outer suburbs of yep. Sydney yep. Than where they know. And, and I, rang, I rang on their behalf a couple of banks and one of them was honest enough to say, mate, we just don't do land out there anymore, especially business, small business, we just don't do that business anymore. Um, but th that's... Go. That's the other side. It's not just industry, or yep. it's just that um, it, that postal bank fills that gap where you can't do anything. You can't buy a house. You can't um, expand your business. Um, it's just going to get worse and worse until we have governments stand up, acknowledge the problem, stand up to these private banks. The only loser out of all this is the private banks. The taxpayers can only win and win and win again um and, and like you said dying on you know dying on the vine like if you're in melbourne i think you, if you're a taxpayer in melbourne or sydney uh, or brisbane you, you're not going to want to be subsidizing propping up these towns or these remote areas with um you know cash incentives or whatever wouldn't you much prefer to just enable them to um naturally look after themselves through a banking system rather than um, any other form of trying to keep regional areas of Australia alive, which is an expensive way to do it. Um, hey, that's, a, that's a great that's a great argument because I one of my one of the only arguments I've actually had a genuine argument about the postal bank with some people that told me they were Labor Party people it blew my mind was oh, we don't want to subsidise um, other people and and you know they were they just couldn't get the hang on it's a bank it pays for itself but. Your point is really good. We're subsidising these rural regional areas anyway with cash, right? Oh, yeah. You could give give them their oxygen, give them their lifeblood back, give them yes. give them actual credit. They will make it work. Yeah. And and all it means is that, just understand it's it, no one's losing money here. Yeah. Right. For the uh, almost for the economic liberal and not liberal party, as in the yeah. liberal yeah. ideology. 
it actually fits more in with their ideology, I think, than with ours, because, uh, you know, we're talking about, at the moment, the town of Richmond or Normanton, they pump, they'll give them a million bucks to build a bike path and a community yeah. hall and a something else to stimulate construction activity, but you want to, we propose a bank, again, which is the market-based solution to try and oh, no, we can't have that. We'd much rather just give them cash for the, to stimulate construction activity, which, you know. Because, because, because so, so that doesn't make sense, right, except the fact that a, a, by, by creating a bank for that, for, that, for that undeniable need, a public bank, you are eroding this um, monopoly that private banks have, a, have over finance, and they, yeah. get, they get more profit and power from that monopoly than if they were, able, then they had to share it with a public bank, and that's where the theory, the neoliberal theory, um, Robbie, is actually a fraud because you're supposed to believe that smart economists sat down and said, "Hmm, this is how the economy would always work." Well, those so those economists that argue that they've always worked for big, powerful corporations, and in fact, yes. the big heroes of 19th century liberal economics, John Mill, John Stuart Mill, David Ricardo, Thomas Malthus. They all worked for the East India Company, the biggest private monopoly in the history of the world. And they came yeah, up yeah. with theories to justify the operations of a company that looted the planet, right? Yes. Especially India. And, 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 and you know, it was called, it's what we now call liberal economics. And it's always been this, it's always yeah. been this scam. No, no, there's, they, they speak for vested interests. So if you want common sense, the other way to describe is the, the, what you said is the metaphor. The difference between giving them cash supplements out there versus credit is, is giving them a fish or teaching them how to fish, right? Because then they can feed yep. themselves. They want to do these. They've got the nows to do it. They just need the, the credit. I have to, for um, most of the, the viewers in North Queensland probably won't get an opportunity to do this, but you might have heard about this, this musical that's taken the world by storm in the last five years called Hamilton. And it's been playing in Australia lately. It's about and it's about the story of the first Treasury Secretary of the United States, Alexander Hamilton. And right. he is the, the intellectual father of this policy. He designed the first ever public bank called the First Bank of the United States. And right. if you go and read his what, the reports to the Congress, because it was a brand new government, and he set up this national bank to invest in infrastructure and economic development for America, right? That's, and it, was, it, it, um, it made enemies, but it, but it did its job, and it showed the world what can be done. And, and King O'Malley, when he started the Commonwealth Bank in Australia in 1912, he said, I am the Alexander Hamilton of Australia. But Hamilton's yeah. whole point was he used to write about how important, how, how important credit is. Right, credit, which is otherwise capital that sits there idle, you can you can direct it as credit to entrepreneurs and people with with bright ideas and and skill and skills, and they can turn idle capital into real wealth for the country. And he wrote this in long treatises to the American government, and and it was an explanation. And he also made the point, of course, his 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 bank um, made enemies, and they were the private banks, right? And he and he had this argument for them. But it's still the essence today. It hasn't changed. He said, with the public bank, the economy is much bigger than it would have been without it. So you and your share of that bigger economy is greater in absolute terms than your share than the total economy was before. So you've got more thanks to the public bank investing in all these yeah. things. Yeah. But you private bankers would prefer to have 100% of the small Right, rather than eighty percent or seventy percent of a much bigger pie, because to yeah, you it's about analogy. power and control. 
And that's why yeah. it's a political fight. We people have to, you know, saddle up here and realize we've got to get behind the politicians who are prepared to, to take on these vested interests. We had a snippet yeah. of it at the Royal Commission, what needed to be done. It wasn't done. Now let's let's do all the things that have to be done with that as well. But the most effective thing as your as your uh, top corporate, you know, uh, advisor said, and my top corporate advisor said, make and compete with a public bank. Make it. And, you know, I, I, to finish up from my end, um, I, I think I, it was a funny comment made to me once that sums it, I, I think sums it up beautifully, but when you're talking about the big banks controlling political influence everywhere, but in Australia, um, you know, in the case of um, uh, you know, Christine Holgate in Australia Post, well, um, well, in every way, but there's a saying uh, that if democracy really worked, they never would have given us uh, uh, the right to vote. <laughs> so they, they give us the right to vote just so long as they can still control things. And we do our, smucks like you and me do our best to fight back against them and uh, deliver some pragmatic uh, answers to people, I think. I, I, no, and there's, there's a certain truth to that. I think, I think the history of Australia, though, shows there's these little... There's these little periods where people of goodwill who had these ideas did prevail. And the, the, the big one was World War II, right? We, had, we happened to get a Prime Minister and a Treasurer in Curtin and Chifley who, I can tell you, I mean, they did a lot of things, but they understood banking. They understood the importance of the Commonwealth Bank, right? And, and our, our wartime economic mobilisation was miraculous thanks to the way they brought the Commonwealth Bank in to play a very, very important role with that. And that shows you that that was a period where the private banks were not in the ascendancy. They had to take a back step to that, back seat to that. Um, and even starting the Commonwealth Bank in 1912 was very similar. It was a big fight to get it through the Labor Party. It's actually, um, listeners in North Queensland may not immediately relate to this, but it's actually historically the old Labor Party that were the champions of this. Not modern Labor, not yeah. Hawke-Keating Labor. But the old yeah. Labor Party um, understood this. And then even the great people in, in the country party, you know, um, Blackjack McEwen, etc. They knew yeah. the importance of, of credit for industry and, and, and making industry work. So those people did have a say once. They were, they were more powerful than our faction is now, our, the people like us who see this now. We, so you can yeah. win that power and we have to use this campaign to recruit the support out there to do it again. Yeah. Actually, one thought just occurred to me, um, but didn't address before. You, you went on to talk about how the big corporates are sort of, um, what, what's the word, um, almost socialising capital. Well, let me put it this way. A friend of mine, a friend of mine was reflecting, and he's a truck driver now, but... Um, he said, I was a, you know, I used to worship Sir Joe when he was building Queensland and I would have d defined myself as a rabid capitalist back in the 80s because that meant you supported the bike shop owner and the convenience store owner and the local yep. grocery store owner. And if you worked hard, you got a reward for your effort. And if you worked hard in the railways, you got, you know, effort. It was, wherever you worked, there was hard, you got um, rewarded. And he said, but now it's very, very hard to run your own business and... You know, I find myself working for a big transport company and you work for these big companies that collectively you're supposed to get some benefit from, but you really just, you hit your ceiling in life and you'll never be able to progress yourself beyond there. He said, it feels like capitalism's now socialism. 
That's right. The, all those things you used to laugh about, the collectivisation in, in Soviet Union of farming and whatever. And what would yeah. they say? Oh, you know, the reason it, does, the reason it fails is because no one has an incentive and et cetera. Well, what do you think we replace it with? If you're up against this. And yeah. you and I could be labelled socialists because we're against the, the rise of big corporates. You know? what, but what do, you think that we've, what do you think in essence we've replaced it with? This is not free enterprise. Right. This yes. is, and and what we saw and what happened in the GFC, these same banks that were the uber capitalists, when it came to the GFC, they all expected to be bailed out. They they privatised profits and socialised losses. They're always socialists. Um, yep. So you know it's it's a it's a scam. You've got to go back to common sense and um, uh, free enterprise. Right. It's got to be. Oh, I, I take, I'll, I'll name one thing. It's a bit. What you find is in when you look at history, the devil's in the detail of what of the various things that governments adopted. But one of the most pernicious things governments ever adopted in Australia was in 1996, called national competition policy. Oh yeah, and yeah. and now it's expressed in the form of this this demand for competitive neutrality. People have said to us already. The Regional Banking Task Force actually produced a report last week that said. Um, you know, we, that was there to look at bank branch closures. It was pathetic. They didn't say we're going to stop it because this thing was stacked by banks. They said, oh, we're just going to warn people more ahead of time yep. that we're still going to do it. And, and they, nine out of ten of the submissions to that task force had said we need a postal bank and they, did, they dedicated one paragraph to it. And in that paragraph they dismissed it because they said this will, this will um, not be in accordance with the principle of competitive neutrality. What does competitive neutrality mean? We, the banks, shouldn't have to compete with a public bank. And as someone yeah. pointed out to me, is hang on, these people were the ones that pumped the ideology into us that the private sector is by definition more efficient than the public sector. So the banks should not be afraid of competing with the public bank, right? That should be easy yeah. for them. What are they afraid of? Because it was never true, right? They don't, yeah. they don't want to act. They, they're the ones who preach competition. They don't want to compete. Because what's been the result, yeah. Robbie? We, I, when I was a kid, Living in for a time there in um, uh, Sandgate in Brisbane, we'd go across the bridge to Redcliffe because at the right at the edge there of the end of the bridge was Jack the Slasher, right? Oh yeah. And yeah. down in here in Victoria, and you'd have you, you could also go to Franklin's, right? Remember that yep, supermarket, Franklin's, No Frills, yeah. Franklin's. How many supermarkets yeah. we got in Australia now, right? We got we got everything is a Coles, Woolies duopoly effectively. Yeah. Big yep. four, four banks, two retailers, um, the. Under competition policy, our comp, we've got the corporations have got bigger and the competition has shrunk. Yep. Right? And the only way to change that actually, to, to the breaking up, this has to be broken up. In the, in the 20s, the Americans passed their Sherman Antitrust Act to break up their big monopolies. We've got to break ours up. But one way to do it is in a lot of areas we had a public player. Right? We need a public oil company as far as I'm concerned, a public oil and gas company that can just... Pump it out at cost and sell it to the Australian people at cost. These are the things I would do, right? You want to call me a socialist? I would, I would take them all on. We need to go back to public insurance. We had public insurance as long as we had public banking. Insurance yeah. that could be, you know, where the gov government, state government insurance office, SGIO. Um, we need to go back to all of that, right? So that the people who can't get insurance now can go back to getting affordable insurance. And a public provider can do that and still make a profit doing it. But, but in every case, force the private sector to compete. That's what we need to do. And the big one, though, is banking. And I think this, this is the way to do it with the Postal Bank. Well, I've learned a lot. You know, we spent a lot of time before, but uh, I've, I've learned a lot today, mate. And um, oh, It's always it's good talking to you, Robbie. I, I, I love your anecdotes. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. You're out I there. Uh, you get out, you're out I'm there. I'm not smart enough to have all the background. I just know what I see in front of me. No, that's the thing. I'm down here, just to explain to the viewer, I'm down here in Melbourne. I do, I've done 30 years of research on this. Um, uh, but, you know, and I'm running the job that I have to do and I'm very busy. I don't get out. I try and call you and you're clearly within on, on long drives, miles away from phone reception. <laughs> Um, flying the plane, actually. Well, they're flying the, flying the plane. Um, but you get out and you're, you're rubbing shoulders with the people who really need this service we're talking about. They right? And that's why I think, I think the, um, uh, the combination of this conversation works really well. Yeah. Mate, thanks very much for your time. I Thank really you, Robbie. Everything there. No, f thanks, mate. Th and thanks for um, having us on your show. And um, for, the, for the sake of our viewers, thanks for being on our show. Yeah, I was going to say I should be thanking you for being on yours. Come on, you, Robbie. Thanks, mate. All right, see you.